Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. As always, we want to give a special shout out to our season two sponsor, Accurix. That's A-C-C-U-R-I-C-S. Accurix is a infrastructure as code security company, which helps codify security for your cloud native infrastructure by codifying security throughout the development lifecycle. They also manage the popular open source IAC project, Terrascan. Visit them at Accurix.com for more. Thank you for joining us on the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by Cole Kennedy. Cole, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Definitely. So for folks that know, don't know you, can you tell us a bit about your background? And then also, I know you actually just recently co-founded a company, uh, Testify Sex. So we'd love to hear about that as well. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So I've been in working in cybersecurity for three years now. My background is actually, you know, non-traditional. I came from the military, spent 12 years in, in the DOD. You know, that whole time I was, uh, you know, a hacker and I always like messing around with computers. And then, you know, when my military career came to an end, you know, I said, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I want to bring my career in this direction. You know, I, I graduated from college and then I started working in at over at Fort Bragg and really started understanding some of the, their mission needs and where they needed to go. And really the lack of security around a lot of the stuff the DOD is doing, right? And so really when I saw that, it became my mission to, hey, I really want to help secure, you know, the, the nation's security, it's nation systems. And that's what led me to, you know, join Boxboat and really start working on the supply chain security problems. When earlier this year, Boxboat did sell to IBM. And I, I really felt that we needed a company that focused specifically on supply chain security and zero trust architecture and automated governance. I think there's a big lack in the market in this area, and it's a new way, new direction forward for security. So that's why I found Testify Sec. Right, we need these types of uh, capabilities for both uh, our, our federal government and then enterprise critical systems. So you know, we're excited to get started in helping secure those systems. Yeah, that's amazing. And speaking of software supply chain uh, security. So I was actually, uh, when we knew we were going to be interviewing you, I was reading through the CISA's document, the Defending Against Software Supply Chain, and I found it had a lot of really good guidance, but I was curious if you felt like it might be really helpful or have some good information for anyone who is interested in starting a an SCRM program. You know, I think it's a really good place to start. Really, when you look at the CISA guidance, it focuses on really hardening existing components using, you know, uh, 800-53 and all these existing controls that we have. These existing controls are great and they exist for a reason, right? They, if implemented properly, they can protect systems. But what we're talking about a CICD process, we're not talking about a specific system. We're talking about a process. So I think we need to look at it a different way, right? How do we secure that process? Part of securing that process, right, is securing those systems involved in the process. But I think we need an out-of-band verification method to actually verify that the process happened like we expected to. Current guidance doesn't have that in there. So while, while the system's guidance is great, I think developing some new frameworks around securing that process of CICD and software development lifecycle is going to be really important to pushing security forward. 
Out of curiosity, like you talked about the the compliance aspect, and I know I've heard you talk a lot about compliance frameworks, and you have a strong opinion on those in terms of paperwork compliance, right? Yeah. I'm just curious your perspective, like you, the value you think that you know traditional compliance frameworks have versus the direction we're seeing things go with CI/CD and DevSecOps and some of the you know new native technologies in cloud, for example. Yeah, yeah, I, I like to troll on uh, compliance frameworks a, a little bit, but you know, to be honest with you, they really do have a good place, and if they are implemented properly. They're great, right? But I think a lot of times what you see is you have these compliance frameworks and it's really just about checking the boxes. It's not actually about really improving the security of your organizations, right? It's it's about not getting yelled at. It's about uh, covering your butt. So in, in that respect, yeah, compliance frameworks are useless, right? But if you're actually looking at them to uh, provide guidance on how to actually increase your security posture, then they're great. Right. But it's really what you how you use them. And the more you put into them, the more you get out of them. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. I think one of my problems with compliance is like a snapshot in time. You know, it's uh, it's like telling the, the kids to like clean their room. You come look, it looks great at that moment. And then you leave and it's a total mess a few minutes later. You know, it's how, kind, of, kind of how a compliance audit is traditionally. But, you know, with that said, some some value I think is in it comes in the concept of a snapshot in time. When I hear you talk about and other folks too talk about supply chain security and testi- testifiable artifacts and like, you know, provenance and things like that. It seems like that snapshot in time is v- really valuable to being able to trace how things move about the supply chain. Does that make sense? It is, right? If you have a method to verify that that snapshot is representative of the current state of your system, right? We can, we can use that snapshot or I, I like to call it metadata uh, to see, hey, how was that software built, right? So kind of some of the things we're doing at TestifySec, right, is we will understand if a piece of software is built on a stigged image, right? And we can record that metadata with cryptographic guarantees and then ship that to your customer, right? So then you can tell your customer, yeah, right, we have a guarantee right here that this this uh, software that we made for you was built on a stigged image. So when we can push that types of metadata and those types of assurances down to the customer, I, I think that that's really what we're looking for in verifying that, hey, yeah, that was compliant, right? Because right now what you have, you have a disconnect. When you you have your software producers and you have your software consumers. So your software consumers are accepting the risk of the software producers without understanding what that risk is. When you look at the executive order, that's trying to switch that around, right? Where the software consumers really get to make the decision about the risk and not the software producers. So we're seeing this in the DOD. We're seeing this in other federal government. We're right. We're seeing this in large financial institutions, right? They're, they're sick of it. They're sick of these supply chain security hacks where they're really at, at the will of their software producers on their, for the security of their systems, right? We need software to run, but we also need that software to be secure. So assessing that risk in a reliable way is, is one of the ways we get there. And analyzing that metadata on how the software was built is how we do that. And that's that's what we're working on in the CNCF. And that's what our guidance is is, is alluding to. And that's where, where all these other places are going. Out of curiosity, like when I talk to folks like you and, and uh, you know, Dr. Friedman, for example, at CISA about this kind of concept, and, and I think it's great to be an informed consumer. But when I think about it from the practitioner perspective and all the things that security teams are juggling already, you know, they're kind of overwhelmed with a lot of things, honestly, in many cases, you know, sometimes it seems like too much information could be bad or, or be a problem. You know, how do you see practitioners, like when they're given all this information from SBOM and testifiable artifacts and things like that, how do they take that and, and ingest it and use it in addition to all their day-to-day work activities to make informed risk decisions? 
Well, I think the market's going to take care of that, to be honest with you, Chris. Right now, we don't have that metadata, so there's no products to consume that metadata and make risk decisions on it. But I think uh, with this executive order, that's going to really push the market into starting to create this metadata. I think you're already seeing it, right? In the way some of the open source communities are are, are going, right? We had just an announcement uh, yesterday for a new company, ChainGuard, that, that's, that's doing this. So market's definitely moving in that way. And I think once we have that metadata, we're going to start seeing more products on the consumer side to say, take a look at that metadata. And, and so the administrators really know what the risk level of that software artifact is. And that's what's really exciting about this, right, is... Once we have this new type of software delivery system with all this metadata, it, it really creates this rich environment for, for risk assessment and security decisions. Well, so speaking about risk decisions, right, and, and sort of that risk management aspect, you know, here on our podcast, we talk a lot about resiliency and what does that mean? And so I'm curious if you could sort of provide some guidance on what you think a, like the most resilient component or components could be for someone to actually incorporate and recover from a software supply chain attack? Well, I, I think backups in a well-rehearsed disaster recovery plan, right? Back to the basics. No one can protect themselves 100% against being hacked or one of their software suppliers being hacked. They can mitigate that risk, right? Through, through implementing controls and, and process, but really, they can't eliminate it. So, so we need to have a, a recovery plan, and we need to rehearse that recovery plan. That's going to be the same as it is uh, was ten years ago, as it is today, and ten years in the future. I think that's going to be the most sound advice we can give. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's certainly something we've talked about here probably more than a few times. Is that it's great to have a plan. And it's wonderful to have that documentation, but you have to actually test it. You need to get your practitioners involved and have that communication chain tested as well. You know, who are you actually going to speak to when something happens? Or if you think something's happening, you know, what are the, what are sort of the differentiators there? Right. Well, if you look at any professional, what do they do? They practice. You look at professional football teams. What do they do? They play one day a week and they practice the rest of the days, right? You look at our military. What do they do? They train nonstop. And then, you know, once every hopefully 100 years, we go to a war and we actually get to, get to use those skills we train for. So yeah, if you want to be a security professional, you need to practice things like resiliency, backups, and disaster recovery. Not doing so is, uh, you know, you're going to put your organization at risk. Yeah, I love the concept. Of, I actually just wrote an article about that too. Like having a plan is one thing, but executing it and practicing it is another. You know, you don't want the time that the time that you need to use something be the first time you ever actually try to try to execute it because it's probably not going to go very well. I was curious as well, you know me, I'm always talking about cloud and cloud security. You know, when we talk about supply chain risk management, you know, third-party risk management, do you think the cloud can help or hinder when it comes to driving down risks associated with the supply chain? From a purely technical perspective, I know that if I have the hardware in my possession, I can make some more assurances about the security of that. But uh, from a practical perspective, right, I think the methodologies that we use when we start using the cloud enable us to have a, a better security posture. But if your organization is stuck on-prem, right, you really look at how you're doing that. Are you using a cloud-native approach? Are you using zero-trust methodologies? Are you using verification of your artifacts? Or are you just assuming because your hardware is sitting in your basement that it's safe? Because it's not, right? Even if you don't have any network access, you're still vulnerable to supply chain attacks. Some of you know, SolarWinds has has shown that that you know that that binary was able to get into a lot of air gap networks behind corporate firewalls, right? So there was really nothing that could prevent that attack that that's currently in place. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great a great point. And you you, know, you mentioned like if you have possession of the hardware, you you could do certain things. But I think that you know when it comes to cloud, it's kind of a distinction between what your capabilities are as an organization versus what you could lean into from someone that maybe does it as a at a much bigger scale and a better proficiency maybe than you could in some cases, depending what the what it is. I was curious too, you know, the concept of SBOM is something I talked to some other folks about. SBOM is is really, you know, picking up. We're seeing a lot of people start, you know, use it as part of their tooling that they offer and such. How do you think that plays a part when it comes to cloud where you have these complex interdependencies where you're, you know, have systems on top of systems and like how does an SBOM work in those kind of scenarios? Right. And that goes into, you know, you really have to trust your dependencies. It depends on your assurance level, right? If you're protecting trillions of dollars of assets, right, your risk level is going to be a little different than if you're running your personal blog. So if you're going to be doing on-prem stuff, right, you, you better be investing the resources into trust your own dependencies. But in the cloud, yeah, there, there's certain, we, we don't know exactly how AWS works and everything that they use to make their system together in as we saw from the Azure, right? Then what was it? Their management engine or something got hacked. So, so right, we, there's things like that that you can't control. So it really goes down to being able to trust all those different components. And we'll see what, what these cloud organizations do with these SBOM requirements. Uh, you know, I think they're going to have to be a little more transparent than they currently are. So I was going to say sort of on that subject, but shifting a little bit, what are some of the biggest concerns, biggest risks, biggest sort of components that you know, an organization should consider when they're actually sort of building up a secure software supply chain uh, program or documentation. I'm just curious what their biggest concern should be. So I, I think one of the big things companies can fall into is a marketing trap, right? I think there's a, a lot of organizations that are selling products out there that are promising zero trust or promising software supply chain security. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no commercial product out there right now that will protect you from a highly sophisticated software supply chain attack, right? There's some open source stuff out there that, that can definitely do that and help, but it's gonna be about architecture and making sure that your ver- your artifacts and your, your metadata is verified at every step. So if you're trying to build up your uh, software supply chain, focus on architecture, not, not necessarily products, right? Focus on those products that fit into your architecture. And, and don't take all your advice from just one representative or, or, or one organization. So, so like in a solar wind scenario, for example, if I'm a consumer, you know, uh, not just of solar winds, but of, of a third party of, of that sort, you know, how, what can I do to, to better, you know, kind of understand the risk I'm, I have of consuming, you know, third party vendor products like that? Ask your vendor for an SBOM. Otherwise, you have no insight on how they're, what's, what goes into their software or how it's built. I, I think the requirements uh, are, are going to start working their way into federal contracting, and then we'll see a lot more. Right now, it's going to be tough to really understand the risk of your software in, until companies start put, pushing out SBOMs included with, with them. Yeah, we're just in, we're not in a good spot right now with transparency and how software is built, to be honest with you, Chris. Yeah, I was, I was actually just about to say, you know, I think without transparency, it's hard to make a, a risk-informed decision or even understand the risk that you may be consuming, basically, without the, the transparency that you're discussing. You know, I, I know you're also involved in some projects like Intoto or have at least spoke about them. Can you help uh, folks understand what those are and, what, you know, why that's valuable? Right, right. So Intoto is a open source tool and, and really it goes back to, you know, there's been a lot of individuals working on supply chain security for years and years and years before it became hot uh, when after solar winds happened. So, so Santiago Torres, Justin Capos from Secure System Labs, Trishank from Datadog, you know Dan Lawrence, they've all been working on these different projects, whether it be SigStore and Toto. And because they put that work in, right, we have a rich 
open source ecosystems we can start building off to solve these problems. So I've been working on Intoto with my CTO, Mikhail Swift, for about a year now. We added some certificate constraint support that allows it to be tied into uh, enterprise. And we are also adding uh, TPM support into, into that project, right? So what you'll be able to do is take that Intoto project, it's free open source project, and use that in your CID CD pipelines to produce this verifiable metadata that you can either use for your internal process or you can ship out to your software consumers so they can understand the risk of uh, that they're, they're, they're placing in their environment by using your software. That makes sense. I, one thing you've mentioned a lot is like obviously transparency and you've mentioned like embracing open source for a lot of different tooling and solutions. I'm curious your perspective. You know, we've kind of heard conflicting viewpoints on the value of open source versus proprietary software, you know, guarantees and support for the project and all those kind of things. You know, how do you think that you can help folks understand the value of embracing open source and, and kind of mitigate some of the concerns that about, about a project being abandoned or, you know, those kind of things that we hear often? Yeah, you know, open source is great. And you're going to need open source to deliver value to your customers at the speed that they expect it, right? There's so much innovation happening in open source, whether you're AI, blockchain, you know, cloud services, whatever, you're going to use open source. But what's important is to really understand what open source you're using and what risk that brings in your organization. So having an open source risk management program and understanding what your risk constraints are and what type of open source you want to bring in your organization is going to be key to understanding and then mitigating that risk, right? What we don't want is to bring in single committer repositories from someone based in China, right? That, that we have no really visibility on what's happening there. But then we're talking about a large open source project like Kubernetes, right? That's got thousands of thousands of eyes on it. I think the risk for that is, is very low. And in fact, probably lower than most commercial software applications. So the risk for open source ranges from high, very high, to lower than what you can get in commercial product. You just need to be informed about what you're bringing in and set that program up in your organization. Well, I wanted to, one thing that you mentioned that like Chris was messaging me, because this I, I think this is a really important note, this open source risk management program idea. I have not heard that before. And I think that that would be, that that's an incredible way for developers and management really to understand what their risk is as, as their developers are doing work and they're using this open source software. It's sort of like, hey, let's let's understand our risk from this perspective. So I just, I think that's a, a really great way to assess that risk. So with that, I'll kind of take us to our last question. What does the term cyber resilient mean to you? Well, I think it goes back to people, right? And People are do, the ones doing your work in your organization. So building an organization with that, that has values of trust, integri- integrity, honor, and respect, right? I think that's going to, you're going to be able to build an adaptable organization if you have the right people and, and you have the right culture. Uh, so just put your people first and I think everything else will follow. That is a great answer. I love that. A people-focused answer. It really is my favorite question to, to ask everybody because everybody has such a different perspective and different things that they value. So I I love your response to that. Well, I wanted to say a huge thank you, uh, Cole, for coming on with us today. It was a pleasure to have you and talk about all things software supply chain security. Real quick, Cole, uh, out of curiosity, you know, you mentioned TestifySec. If people want to learn more about you and what you're up to with the organization, where can they go? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Visit my website. It's testifysec.com. It's T-E-S-T-I-F-Y-S-E-C.com. Find it in the show notes. All right, perfect. Well, thank you very much, Chris. It's been uh, great being on your show. I had a lot of fun. So thank you very much. And uh, that'll take us out for this episode. We'll see you guys next week.